Hello listener, welcome to Switch It, the podcast that doesn't have a plan B. Australia are world test champions, but the ashes, at least in the eyes of some, is a real quiz. Will Basball turn out to be a nice little earner for England, or is the scene set for Pat Cummins and co to waltz off with the lot? We're about to find out, or rather, we're about to plunge headfirst into what is being teed up as the most anticipated ashes on these shores since 2005 and all that. It all begins at the Birmingham Bullring on Friday, and Edgbaston expects... Stokes versus Cummins, Baz versus Ron, hidebound traditionalism versus innate aggression. I'll leave you to work out which is which. <laughs> Let's get stuck in today with the help of ESPN Quick Info deputy editor Andrew McGlashan and assistant editor Matt Roller. G'day, g'day. Nasha, you've already made the journey up to Brum. How feverish is the atmosphere three days out from the first test? Um. Yes, you can tell that I think you can tell there's an Ashes test um, about to start, partly because there's two cricket teams in town and they've been training uh, today. Um, Hard to say whether it's grasped the imagination of the uh, general public, but I do think um, we know what Edgbaston is like and I think it certainly will come come Friday morning. Um, So, yes, I think we're all just glad that it's almost here, really. There's been, although in one way it's been quite a short build-up, it has also felt quite long. Obviously, Australia have played this not insignificant test match over the week um, and won a not insignificant trophy, but so much has been building up to what's going to happen over the next six weeks. So it is nice that we are now just a couple of days away uh, from it all starting and seeing whether we do get an answer to that question of can England basball it against this attack? Yeah, we'll we'll talk about Australia's warm-up fixture um, in a bit. <laughs> um, and the weather looks looks set fair as well for Birmingham for the next few days, which is good. Matt, I think this is the first time you've been on the pod since the release of your book, uh, which isn't about the ashes, but I'm sure will be of uh, interest to our <laughs> listeners still. Um, yeah, well, I'm <laughs> very much uh, excited for that to come out. It's June 22nd as the release. You can uh, pre-order it now. It's uh, written with Tim Wigmore of the Daily Telegraph called White Hot, the inside story of England's double world champions. And uh, I'm sure England will be looking forward to an opportunity to do one over the Test World Champions uh, over the next few weeks as well as obviously it feels like the the stakes have been raised somewhat um, since Australia picked up uh, the mace at the Oval Um, there's also an extent to which it it does add a little bit of extra uh, spice and even more of of an opportunity for England the idea that not only are you potentially winning the Ashes against a team who have proven themselves to be very good? You're potentially winning the Ashes against the the, the reigning Test champions. So, um, yeah, I, I think um, you know it'll be a be a, uh, an interesting uh, start to the summer. I'm very much looking forward to Friday. Nicely segued out of the plug there into, back into the, <laughs> the topic at hand. Um, I mean, Nasha, you wrote about the uh, the all format all format world champions in in that uh, in the Aussie uh, touring party. I think they posed. Uh, on the pitch, um, Pat Cummins, David Warner, uh, Stephen Smith, and Josh Hazelwood, and possibly one other. You can you can uh, fill me in. But uh, England, or, or at least uh, a wag on Twitter that I I noticed, uh, pointing out that two of those trophies would have had to have been borrowed from the ECB. Uh, yes, quite. I, I'll just start by saying I don't have anything to sell or promote. So, uh, yeah. Do you so, have a yes. soundcloud? Uh, yeah, congratulations on the book, uh, Matt, by the way. Um, can you get me a signed copy? Thank you. Um, yes, I mean, on a, on a serious point, there is, and Pat Cummins touched on it again after 
beating India, um, there is this legacy-defining aspect uh, to this tour for Australia. We sort of talked about it before the Test Championship final last week. That was part one, and obviously part two will unfold over the next um, six six weeks. And it's hard to see too many holes in Australia's Test side. That isn't to say they won't be beaten over the next uh, five Test matches, but in a way, if you line the two sides up, side by side, you say there's actually fewer questions about the Australian side than there are probably about the England side. Um, the only question for Australia remains, so well, two. One is a form one with David Warner, um, and the other is a selection one, who that third quick bowler uh, is on, on, on Friday morning. Um, and when you're going to be leaving out either a bowler with 300 wickets, a bowler with 200 wickets, or a bowler who averages under 15, um, it is, it, 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 it's a pretty handy position um, to be in. So um, I think the Test Championship reinforced what a challenge this is going to be for England um, over the next six weeks. Um, and it is it is a little bit of a clash of, of two cultures in a sense, although Australia don't play defensive Test cricket. They just play aggressively traditional test cricket if you know what I mean not at the extreme ends that England have started to play so it is going to be fascinating um how this plays out I mean Australia do have three maybe four great cricketers in that team a couple of borderline ones and a couple who have emerged in this world test championship cycle that have made them a better team in Travis Head Scott Boland and Cameron Green so um so yeah um kind of saying good luck to England on that. If they do, and it has been sort of a refrain when we've spoken to the Australians over the last few weeks, is that if they can do it against us over five tests, well, good luck to them. And and that kind of is it. I mean, if England do basball their way to this Ashes, then fair play. Um, but I think this is going to be their toughest challenge. Yeah, I mean, Australia have talked about uh, it, this being a sort of legacy-defining tour. Um, it feels a little bit at the moment at like the, like the calm before the storm. We had England's selection drama last week, um, Jack Leach's injury, the the recall of, of Moeen Ali, and, and, you know, what a story that might be over the next few weeks. Um, we sort of touched on it. Australia put in a pretty comprehensive performance at the Oval, beating India uh, to, to win that. Test Championship Mace, and and they are arguably uh, just the better prepared side for a five-test series at the moment. Yeah, quite possibly. I think if you look at uh, the, the build-in period that Australia have had compared to England, I mean, England spent that uh, the weekend while Australia were uh, winning a pretty hard-fought test at the Oval. Uh, they were up in Loch Lomond <laughs> playing golf and swimming in a lake, I think. So um, it, it looks like a a, a big contrast. You look through the England lineup, and there's plenty of players who haven't played a lot of cricket um, over the last however long. Um, if you think of between Ben Stokes, Johnny Bairstow, Harry Brook, Joe Root, how many times they've batted against a red ball of late? Uh, not particularly many. You also look at that Ireland Test, and um, much as you know, I'm sure it won't have done a huge amount of harm to Ben Duckett and Ollie Pope scoring big runs. I think you know that was realistically, if you count some of the the players that were missing in in Craig Young, Barry McCarthy, and most obviously Josh Little. That was pretty much a B-string Ireland attack, bowling high 70s miles an hour, which um, probably not hugely refre- reflective of uh, the challenge that they're going to face with people bowling about 10 miles an hour faster over the next six weeks. Um, so it, I, I would agree that, yeah, I think Australia looked like the better prepared team. But um, then again, throughout the McCullum-Stokes era, England's 
preparation and sort of approach <laughs> to it has been completely different to anything we've seen before really you know um think of uh, tour games being cancelled or, or days of tour games being cancelled stokes doesn't really play tour games anymore it doesn't fancy it um and i think also england are, are hugely reflective of how much cricket has has changed in the past you know probably even three to five years in terms of uh you know players coming out now and saying i think joe root i spoke to him in jaipur and he, he echoed that again after the ireland test talking about um his approach to why he felt he was better served you know netting in in india for um for eight weeks rather than playing for yorkshire <laughs> in the county championship and there was a point where that was a pretty sacrilegious position within english cricket to be taking up you know mm. owen morgan and kevin peterson used to say that stuff and sort of get the you know um get people in in blazers at lords in a real fuss but um now it sort of seems to be accepted wisdom that um you know much as i think root has sort of constantly tried to emphasize that he's not trying to dish the county game mm. but then said look if i'm facing a nibbly seamer on a green top in may um it's probably not going to be that similar to what happens when uh, pat cummins is still at the top of his mark and about to send one down at 140ks uh with uh, on a pretty fast pitch so um, yeah, I, I think it, it will really put that to the test. Can you can you go into a test series somewhat undercooked potentially, um, or you know, is it all about the mental challenge, the mental battle of just switching on and mm. um, getting back into it? I guess we'll be able to uh, evaluate almost uh, directly how um, a few games of, in the championship can prepare you for a yeah. series by how uh, Smith, Stephen Smith, and, and Marnus Labuschagne go. Um, <laughs> I suppose on that actually, the, the good the good case in point of I think why England are so unfussed about it now would probably be for an example would be Johnny Bairstow last summer because he, he had arguably the best run of form you've ever seen from an English Test batter over a summer. Mm. I'm sure there's a, a Gilbert Jessup summer from a hundred years ago that will disprove <laughs> that, the point. That old name again. Yeah, you know it was one of the most staggering runs of form I think you can ever see from an England batter, and he came straight from the IPL where he hadn't been scoring particularly many runs I think had two nets at Lords and uh, came out and had an, yeah, a, a completely remarkable run of form so I think that is a case in point of um, you know maybe if he'd had the exact same summer off the county championship we'd have been heralding that as how important <laughs> it was but equally uh, he didn't and yeah I think it's one of those where we can quite often look back and say this is the cause for this happening whereas maybe it's a um, simply about what mental state he's in going into that first game. Well, certainly uh, the the mindset aspect of it is, is something that's been, um, I suppose, continually emphasised over the the Stokes McCullum era. I mean, we're a year in now, but uh, <laughs> um, I mean, it's interesting actually that England England could start this test with, uh, and there, you know, the players in the squad. There are as many as eight who were uh, in the eleven at Hobart in in at the end of the twenty one twenty two. Uh, tour um, uh, there's no Roy Burns there's no David Milan and no Sam Billings uh, I don't think we're likely to see them during the summer or at least it will be an indication of how badly <laughs> awry the series has gone for England but um, but the, the core of the, the squad is pretty similar but it's it's obviously with this um, new approach new mental approach to the game uh, which someone should come up with a name for um, but Nasha I, I think kind of we've uh Dance around it a little bit, but but the, the key battle it feels like is is going to be uh, England's batters and their their 
aggressive approach uh, and this Australia attack, which, uh, you know, it, it, it is, it's a, a, um, a mouth-watering prospect, really, for the summer, the series. Um, you've got, uh, you know, Pat Cummins, Mitchell Stark, uh, Josh Hazelwood, Scott Boland, all kind of uh, quick, genuine quick bowlers, uh, you know, huge success uh, in Test cricket, and, and I include Scott Boland in that. Uh, he's only played eight matches, but um, that is, the, is going to be the fascinating kind of battle. Um, and it's it's in that fast bowling attack that the kind of the, the one major question which uh, you've you've had to ponder, you know, the build up to the World Test Championship uh, final, and and now the ahead of Edgbaston is um, who plays. Um, I guess Australia have had such such success against England with Stark, Cummins, Hazelwood um, that it was going to take something pretty special to sort of break that up, notwithstanding that uh, Hazelwood's had some fitness issues. But uh, Scott Boland gave us a reminder of why, well, uh, evidence of why he averages 14.57, I suppose, in tests again over uh, those five days at the Oval. Yes, and I, you can't leave Scott Boland out. I, I mean, it's not the first time that's been said in his eight test match career, such as the impact he's had. But I genuinely think we've reached the point now where you can't leave him out, which a week ago, if Hazelwood had been fit for the World Test Championship final, I think they would have left him out. Um, and I think it would have been Stark, Hazelwood, Cummins. But um, you just continue to see the impact that, <clears throat> that Scott Boland can have. He has this remarkable record of, of multiple wickets and over six times in those eight test matches um kind of so, so he seizes a moment he kind of without getting cliched he makes things happen um which almost feels it goes slightly against the character of Scott Boland is such a uh it's quiet unassuming person really and yet you put a ball in his hand and a little bit of grass on the pitch or even no grass on the pitch and he just he just gets this ball um to, to nip around but I'll come back to the balls in a sec but just to go back to a point you two made about, in a way, how England's eleven has not changed dramatically during this Stokes McCullum era. I think that's one of the aspects that actually gives Australia a bit of confidence going in to this team that, that kind of they actually know a lot about a lot of these players. It's not as though they're coming up a completely new look England side. They're coming up against a side that plays in a new way. But it's only really Ben Duckett and Harry Brook that they haven't seen much of in in certainly in the batting. Um, department so there's a there's a feeling there and Andrew McDonald touched on it after the oval that it's 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 things are happening more quickly but they kind of have a sense that they they know enough about these batters um to essentially get them out now whether it means that they get them out when they've scored 100 off 70 balls that's kind of what we're going to find out in, in the next six weeks but in a in a funny way although in some parts, it's been written up as a bit of a journey into into the unknown for Australian sashes. That I don't think that's quite how their camp feels about it. Really, I think that there's there's a familiarity with the players they're going to come up against. Clearly, we don't know what's going to happen if Zach Crawley charges down to Mitchell Stark's first ball um, at Edge Baston. Um, although some people might think they know what will happen if Zach Crawley takes that um, uh, approach. Um, so yeah, so so I think there's a bit of confidence in the Australian camp there. And then, so so to go back to the bowlers, um, two day, well, halfway through the World Test Championship final, I was probably leaning towards uh, Cummins, 
Hazelwood Boland and Mitchell Stark was the one uh, who sits out. And that, if you go by a Twitter poll, uh, which clearly we should all go by Twitter polls, um, then Mitchell Stark is the one who should miss out. Uh, but having seen a couple of pictures from Edgebaston today of how straw coloured um, and dry that pitch is already looking, um, uh, and there's always there's some bearish patches on the square too. I do wonder whether reverse swing could could come into this um, test match. And isn't to say Josh Hazelwood's not a fine reverse swing bowler. He is. We saw that at Sydney against Africa. But Mitchell Stark is also a fine reverse swing bowler, and he brings that left arm dynamic to the team. So I'm now leaning towards an unchanged attack for Edge Baston, and they keep Josh Hazelwood up their sleeve again, as they did in 2019. Um, for Lords and onwards. So uh, that could all completely go out the window um, in 48 hours' time, 72 hours' time. But they they do, I think, like the thought of having this, uh, the Mitchell Stark factor um, against this attacking England uh, batting order. And the other dynamic that Australia now have is, of course, Cameron Green. So they're playing um, a five-man bowling attack. And it's a fascinating dynamic in a way that um, for all the lead up to this, it's kind of like, oh, England have got Ben Stokes, the all-rounder, and I know he's bowled today at Edgebaston, but there is such a massive question mark over how much Ben Stokes can bowl um, that you think Australia have an advantage there in that Cameron Green bowled well at the Oval, seems to have shaken off his IPL sort of, can he transition from four overs to 15 overs? Um, He seems to have done that pretty well at the Oval. So, Australia do genuinely have a five bowler, uh, a five man attack. I think we await to see quite, um, quite whether that's the same with England. Yeah, well, that that is one of the um, going to be one of the sort of interesting themes of the the series. And traditionally, um, uh, England have kind of. Uh, always had the upper hand over Australia in, in the all-rounder stakes, whether it's Stokes or Flintoff or both of them. But um, yeah, Cameron Green has uh, you know left a mark on that 21-22 series. Um, and Matt, with, I mean, Stokes' knee, you were at the IPL, you were sort of uh, tracking his fitness there, whether it was, uh, you know, uh, behind closed doors in the nets or, or, you know, um, pushing for selection. I think he only played twice for CSK. Um, yeah, correct. Um, that is clearly going to feed into into how England approach um, bowling to Australia this summer, um, and on top of that, you've got the uh, the dramatic return of Moeen Ali um, a week ago, still a retired Test cricketer, and uh, I mean we talked about this a little bit on last week's pod, but um, he is a, a, a sort of a confidence player, a mercurial player. You feel like this could go one of two ways uh, Australia will know all about what Moeen can do um, and you also spoke to him at the IPL I mean uh, what's your what's your sort of hunch um, you know three days out from the start of the series how England are, uh, are looking to approach um, that first test in, in terms of shaping their attack I mean I don't think it's at uh, this stage we're looking at a four man seam attack although it was one of the possibilities they do have a lot of options in the squad um they do have supposedly uh, uh, James Anderson and, and Ollie Robinson fit and available for selection having sat out the Ireland game mm. but there's uh, as as mentioned there's quite a lot of uh, variables there for England or things to weigh up whereas Australia are looking very settled well I think the two things that you mentioned there so Stokes's fitness and Moeen's return are intriguingly interlinked mm. because Moeen was speaking uh, earlier today mm. as we record 
uh, about the fact that he's never been a bowler throughout his <laughs> test career to hold an end down, even when he was playing test and first-class cricket pretty regularly. He was still always an attacking bowler. I think that's backed up by his economy rate for his test career. I think it's comfortably over three. I think maybe even closer to four than three. Um, and clearly he's, he's going to be someone who, in a way that Jack Leach bowled significantly more than uh, the vast majority of England's attack over the, the past 12 months, I think he's bowled 170-odd overs more than anyone else uh, in the past 12 months. Moeen is probably not going to be a workhorse who's bowling 20-odd overs a day. He's probably going to be someone who comes on, you know, potentially to bowl a specific batters, potentially to bowl at left-handers, potentially mm. to sort of dangle a carrot to a set batter. Um, you could see him coming on with a sort of attacking field to Smith or Manus Labuschagne and, you know, being happy to be hit for three boundaries in an over if it means getting them, uh, you know, chipping to short mid-wicket as well. Um, and, and clearly... Stokes is going to be someone where it's going to be a, a huge bonus for him if he can fill in the gaps that might be left by Moeen's sort of inability or um, his different role, I suppose, to Leach, more to the point. Um, and he's clearly, you know, he's been saying all the right things over the past couple of weeks. I think he said after the Ireland test, he, he'd never planned to bowl in that test. He bowled on the final morning. He's been clearly been loading up a bit, but it, it's, a, it's a great unknown, really. I think... Ever since that New Zealand tour, when at the end of the series, Stokes admitted he had a diagnosis on exactly what the injury was and no, he wasn't going to share it with <laughs> the world's media. Um, it's been a great sort of saga that's been, you know, throughout the IPL, he bowls against Lucknow, um, a single over, which was his single over for the tournament. <laughs> he said after that that he felt pretty good. Then there was a setback, which was originally a... I think diagnosed as a heel problem. Then Chennai said it was a toe problem. Then there were the, Stephen Fleming was coming out all the time saying, oh yeah, there's just a little niggle. Oh no, I probably won't tell you which body part it is. All these things just rolling on and on. By the end, he was sort of allegedly fully fit, but not to bowl. Um, and he was in his, his batting cover and they were going to rest him. Um, and it just feels like it's been a continual saga over the past however many months. Um, and the hope is that he will put all of that to bed with a marathon six-over spell uh, with a short ball field at Edgebaston and uh, get one of Australia's big fish out. But it does feel like a lot of things have to go right, given the amount of strapping on his knee, given the amount we've seen him grimace in the field over the past however long. Um, and, you know, if Moeen, if Moeen's return doesn't go to plan and if Stokes' knee doesn't hold up then suddenly you're asking quite a lot of uh, what will in all probability be a seam attack that hasn't bought a lot of overs uh, in the past month or so so it definitely you know there is a huge contrast between the two teams in that uh, with Australia you feel as though they, they have some uh, some really luxurious problems uh, whereas England <laughs> not so much just just problems I was just going to add it would be a massive alpha power play if England are bowling first on the first at Edgebaston and Ben Stokes just gives himself the first over of the Ashes. <laughs> I mean, that that would be a not not a spell necessarily. Just right. You've spent months talking about my bowling. Here you go. I'll take the first over the Ashes, and then we'll see how it plays out from there. As we've heard, he's capable. He's one one over for CSK. That he's capable of that. Only took the new ball in the T Twenty World Cup. Stranger things have happened. It's, um, a, it's a lovely little thing you've planted there, Nash. I'm going to be thinking about that for the next three days. Um, I mean, in, t in terms of uh, Moeen and, and his bowling, I mean, he hasn't played a, a first class game or a test in in sort of almost two years. Um, Matt, I thought it was interesting in, in your interview with him that he talked about he was talking about his white ball bowling, but talking about finding finding the rhythm and actually almost how being a test 
uh, bowler gave him good habits or, you know, uh, uh, got him in that mindset of kind of putting energy on the ball, I think it was. Um, I mean, it's, it's going to be a sort of a, a live experiment to see whether he can actually get back into that that space um, over the next few weeks. Yeah, and I, I think Moen's uh, T20 bowling in particular, he has, it, it feels to me watching him as though it's changed a little bit over the course of that sort of nearly two years now that he's spent outside of test cricket, where I think he's he's gone through periods where I think particularly bowling in the power play, he's been very defensive. And I think particularly in 50 over cricket as well, when he bowls in the middle overs and there are only four men out, he quite often bowls quite defensively. But I think increasingly we've seen him sort of give the ball a bit more of a chance and really look to spin the ball hard, which I think is what Moen generally, you know, when he's been at his best for England, um, particularly in that period, probably 2015 to 17 or some, something around there. I think that was when Moen was at his best as a test bowler. Mm. And I think that was because he was generally looking to spin the ball, looking to be aggressive and looking to take wickets, all the sort of things that we've heard Ben Stokes and Brendan McCullum talk about over the past however long. So I think from a from an English perspective, I think the thing that people will cling to with Moen is he, he should be a perfect fit for this mm-hmm. regime and this era. Um, and also if he is encouraged to, to spin the ball, that's generally when he's at his best. I think he he's sometimes... He's the sort of personality it feels like who can occasionally be stifled if he's told this is your role and is mm-hmm. to do something that he doesn't feel comfortable doing. But um, the hope is that there will be a, a perfect uh, marriage of a, a player and a regime that want exactly the same thing from one another. Um, but it is a gamble because he hasn't <laughs> bowled a lot of balls in, in, in bowled a lot of red balls in the past two years. Yeah, um, I think he's he's. he's not spent much time batting uh, uh, facing balls or any kind recently either I don't think he's been captaining Birmingham Bears in the blast uh, but this is the new way this is how England roll um, I mean Nasha uh, Andrew McDonald I think touched on this a little bit um, after the World Test Championship final um, Australia know what to expect from Moeen I'm sure they will be respectful of that uh, you know to a degree anyway at least until they they get onto the pitch Um and uh, and McDonald sort of pointed out that the the role that Leach has played, the disruption that that uh, entails for England. Um, the, the the other factor here is, and, and it's always a great imponderable. I know you like talking about pitches, but uh, England England supposedly have requested fast flat pitches. We've seen um, early early sight of, of uh, Edgbaston. It looks like the you know the, not too much grass on it at this stage, and it. They'll probably lose a. They'll have another uh, haircut before Friday. Um, it's 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 hard to sort of separate the wood from the trees on these subjects. You know who's asked for what, who what what the groundsmen are prepared to do. Gary Barwell, I think that uh, Edgbaston has said he's you know, no requests have been made of him. Um, Josh Hazelwood was speaking about the subject earlier this week as well. But if we to, to boil it down, if we do get you know. Uh, uh, these pitches which aren't going to nibble around in, in the traditional uh, English sense in which England have had a lot of success on against Australia in the, the last four or five tours um, that f- is further going to potentially anyway stretch stretch England and, and the way they play against a, a very competent Australia team with players like um, Steve Smith, Marlon Abishay and Travis Head uh, as we saw at the weekend who um, know how to occupy the crease uh, if if the ball uh, if the ball and the pitch aren't doing too much, yeah, it it it's really interesting in a sense in terms of whether whether England so believe in their batting that they're willing to negate what has traditionally been such a big strength, particularly against 
the Australians in England. By and large, the test matches that England have won against Australia have been when the ball has nibbled around. You think of uh, Trent Bridge famously in, in 2015 to take the extreme examples, but even Edge Baston in that series, the game before that, the ball moved around. Um, I even kind of headingly, obviously, it ended up being Stokes's test match, but they bowled Australia out for 100 and what was 170 on that first day. They then only made 60, but we'll move on from that because Ben Stokes won the game. But um, but it, it is fascinating because there were moments in that test against India where you could sway from thinking one thing than the other. Like when, when Stephen Smith and um, Travis Head were going on that first day, you're thinking, if England want flat pitches, then how are they going to get 20 wickets? But then they've been doing that all through Basball, as I think, Alan, you've been looking into some of, of the numbers about it. They've had this, I mean, it's the big thing, is is the success of Basball, the batting or the bowling. Andrew McDonald often cites the bowling more than the batting, whether that's a bit of killer, a bit of kidology and sort of taking the emphasis away from the batting. Um, but generally, the cliche goes, you don't win test matches without taking 20 wickets. And England have been able to take... Um, 20 wickets in a variety of different and kind of often clever and well thought out manners, particularly on the flat pitches in in, in Pakistan. Um, and then you look at, a, and they were only short passages of play when India batted because they didn't bat well enough for long enough. But there were a couple of moments there when their batters got on top, particularly that stand between Rahani and Thakur on the third day. I think they put a 100 at about five and over, which was a taste of basball. And, it, and Australia did look a little bit rattled at stages there. And I mean, it was, again, it didn't go on long enough to change the game. Um, Australia bounced back, they knocked over the tail. But then you thought, well, actually, maybe it's not a bad idea. Maybe actually there is still that little um, that little uncertainty about how Australia react to pressure. And that was a theme around about that 2019 period, particularly how they reacted to the Stokes onslaught at Headingley. Um, sort of like, can the bowlers adjust when batters go after them? So, I mean, that's a long way of saying that, again, I don't think we're going to know until actually the players uh, players take the field um, in terms of how that how that's going to play out. But all, all I would say about that is, is that it doesn't feel like, for example, Smith and Marnus Labuschagne are going to get lulled into playing outside of their bubble. And we saw Smith in his bubble at the Oval against India. His biggest problem there was falling into the crater that David Warner created when he took guard uh, at the crease there. Um, Marnus got worked over, actually, by by the Indian bowl. He's had a really tough time, and that overall test got battered around the fingers. Um, uh, but sort of those runs in the second innings uh, were quite important. So whether England go after him with a bit of short, quick stuff will be interesting. Uh, Mark Wood actually got under his skin a bit in the 2021 series. So that, that, that will be interesting. But in the broader thing, I can't see them suddenly chasing the game, albeit I know everyone enjoyed Steve Smith charging Ravi Jadeja in the second innings, um, having said what he, having seen what Broad has said uh, before the series. But I just think those two guys that average 60, um, if the pitches are flat, um, I just think they're going to fill their boots. And England might fill their boots even more. Again, we just don't know. But I think that the runs that Smith and Labuschagne get... Um, could well define the series because if they have big series each, Australia are going to get big totals and they do have a very, very good bowling attack to sort of take advantage of runs on the board. Just on the pitches, I think it's it's quite notable as well that the first three tests in this series actually are all played at venues that historically, or particularly over the past few years, really haven't suited spin at all. 
Um, because Edgebaston, there's been three championship games this year and mm. there's been three wickets to spin. And I think spin has averaged something like 60 last season in the championship. Lords has not been a venue for spin. Obviously has short square boundaries, which generally means that they can go pretty far. And then mm. Headingley, um, much as Jack Leach took a 10 for there <laughs> last year, that was very much the exception to the rule. Um, yeah, I don't think Graham ever like bowling there much. No, and I feel as though that actually, I, looking at it, from the, one of the guys that we haven't mentioned so far in this podcast, I think one of the key battles in this series will be England's batters against Nathan Lyon mm. because Lyon has a pretty good record in the Ashes. I think he's got over 100 wickets in the Ashes now and averaging sort of 28, 29. But we have seen in at, at times over the past couple of years, and I'm thinking particularly that most recent India tour to Australia, that there have been times where teams have been able to put him under pressure. Now, I'm not saying that England are going to smacking for six and over but we have seen throughout this uh, past 12 months that England have been very keen to try and isolate weak links in opponent attacks and have generally been pretty successful at taking players down at certain times so I think you know in the first series under McCullum and Stokes we saw Michael Bracewell get absolutely met um, throughout <laughs> the, the beast series was beasted exactly the one <laughs> the one-off test against India Shardell tackle went miles um, and that's sort of been a pattern that's extended through with people like I think Zahid Mahmood in, in Pakistan mm. um, Neil Wagner in, in certain phases against New Zealand as well and I think England will be looking at Lyon and thinking that he's you know, he's at least worth having a dip against at some point in the series. I'm not saying they're going to try and score at six and over mm. throughout, but I think given England's general prowess against spin, if you look at the players in the middle order, I think they will at least have a go against him. And I think that given the type of pitches we might see, it might be, a, a, you know, a reckless gamble and Lyon might roll through mm. them on the final day on some dry surfaces. We've obviously not had a lot of rain over here for the last three weeks. But I think there's also a chance that they'll put him under pressure and maybe he'll he'll have the sort of series he did against India a couple of years ago. Um, so for me, that's actually, a, you know, I don't think it's been discussed anywhere near as much as, uh, you know, Crawley and Pope against the, the big three quicks. Mm. But I feel as though that could be a, a real key battle in the series. And I think that personally, I feel as though that will go a long way to determining the outcome. Um, Nashie, you spoke to, to Lyon in, in the build-up, uh, sort of ahead of the tour. He's actually approaching 500 Test wickets, um, and uh, we know he, he's always up for a fight in, in an Ashes context. So uh, that that would be an intriguing um, sort of head-to-head if England go that route. Yeah, he um, he's quite happy to throw out the stat that he's been hit for more Test sixes um, than anybody, and he's fully expecting to go um, for a few more um, a few more in this series. But it will be very interesting to see the role he plays because um, it, Pat Cummins does like to lock him in occasionally from one end to, to to rotate the quicks, although I'll come back again to the, the role that Cam Green can now play. So, And I think we've seen a, a few times over this the cycle that Australia won in the World Test Championship that, that Lyon has, has bowled in a slightly more attacking way. Um, he's obviously had three subcontinental tours to bowl on as well, but he's, he's continued to be very successful in Australia when there's a bit of bounce um, in the pitches. So, um, yeah, look, I, I I kind of, I sort of put it to him, would he be happy with sort of like 520 off 20 overs with wickets caught at deep mid wicket long on and stumped by three miles sort of thing? He said it doesn't, it it doesn't fuss him. Now, obviously, it's very easy to say that a month out and then you come on and, and whoever's at the crease skips down and puts your first ball down the ground. Um, so so it, it it will be fascinating. I mean, I think Matt's right. I, I mean, England England aren't going to die winning against any of these Australian bowlers. And, and that's why it's, 
that's why it's going to be a case of strap in and just sort of enjoy it because this is um this is one of the finest Australian bowling attacks you could you could see outside of the very great era that had McGrath and Warren, uh, which you almost can't compete against. Um England certainly couldn't. When you look at them, there's yeah, they they <laughs> bowl and decide they've all got more than two hundred test wickets and one of them's approaching five hundred and Boland, as we said, has, has had a remarkable start to his test career. So um, they will always think they have someone else to go to if someone is is sort of taken on a little bit. Um, the interesting point that, I mean, you and me, Al, were talking about it the other day a little bit, just going back to Boland is, and I saw it mentioned again today, actually, I think Michael Vaughan may have mentioned it on Twitter or something, that, that um, England will face Scott Boland as though he's a spin bowler. Um, in that kind of they'll see his the metronomicness of his of his back of a length and they'll think they can line him up and I mean but I mean that sort of sums up this whole what England have done to Test cricket because uh, because it's probably not wrong that they, they, they probably will they probably will try and take his first two overs to twenty and go okay Scott what have you got now sort of thing and and it's just going to be which is why and I think sort of Matt's asked us to produce some quick fire questions about this series which I think you'll read on the site over the next few days and one of them was like predict head-to-head sort of thing and without giving too much away I basically said well it almost so much has gone out the window in, in this basball era that it's so it's so difficult to know because we're going into areas that stats don't really help uh, convention doesn't really help past conditions don't really help sort of things so so much and, and why I think what happens at Edgebaston is going to be so important uh, because yeah, England are just playing this brand of cricket that it's very hard to compare to anything else. Um, one of the other sort of areas that might be kind of uh, say low key uh, significant in, in influencing this series, and if if the pitches are a little more friendly, um, opening in England has been you know one of the tougher gigs in in world cricket uh, in Test cricket certainly for a few years. Um, Matt, we've talked a lot about Zach Crawley on on this pod, um, and 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 Nash. I mean, uh, David Warner is is going to be a, a, a storyline through the through the summer. Um, whether him and Stuart Broad actually end up playing against each other at any point in the end, we'll, we we will we will find out. Um, Usman Khawaja made Norton thirteen uh, in the World Test Championship final, and and doesn't have a great record in in English conditions, um, and and that's without I think having opened here before that game. Uh, there, there is an opener in good form in in Ben Duckett, um, Matt, um, and I mean he looks as settled as anyone in England's batting lineup at the moment. He does. I think the really interesting thing with Duckett will be to see what tempo he plays at because he probably more than anyone over the past six months sort of post uh, I think Bairstow probably was the guy that defines the first six months of England's test team and I would argue that maybe Duckett has been the guy that's done since the start of that Pakistan tour since he's come back in Mm. and I suppose almost vindicated the whole process of uh, we've made this environment one that uh, you know, you, you no longer need to feel stifled in a way that Duckett probably did as a 21-year-old on his first tours uh, to Bangladesh and India, and obviously was uh, was dumped and uh, spent quite a long time in in county cricket, um, sort of picking himself back up again over the next however many years. Um, but Duckett has scored at such a such a rate, and it was the extraordinary stat that was trotted out during his innings against Ireland, where it, just how few balls he's left alone in, in his Test career. I think he's left maybe eight or nine balls uh, <laughs> since coming in, since coming back into the side. Which, you know, you you think of an England 
opener facing Australia and it feels like something that's going to be completely unsustainable. But um, I suppose the tricky thing with Duckett is, and I suppose the tricky thing with the Duckett-Crawley opening partnership maybe compared to some others, and I'm not by any means saying that it's going to be a, a phenomenal success against Australia, but the, the thing that they have in their fa- favour is that um, they are very complementary in terms of their strength. So Crawley's sort of six foot four, six foot five, right-hander, um, and Duckett is significantly shorter, nearly a foot shorter, left-hander. Um, and in terms of lengths, I think that does take a bit of an adjustment as well as um, obviously sort of flipping the line. So I think that, uh, yeah, Duckett is in good form. I think the thing that is the great unknown of Ben Duckett so far is what he's going to be like against bowlers that are that much quicker because he he clearly has faced them in international cricket um, and had some success against them in, in New Zealand, some uh, you know guys who are no slouches. But I think... I remember Vish spoke to him after 100 that he scored in the championship against Middlesex, who have, a, I suppose, one of the slower seam attacks in the championship. And he said, you know, much as it's nice to score runs, it's a completely different challenge to what I'm going to get this mm. summer. Um, and while I think that probably wouldn't have been the right thing to say after a test against Ireland, the sentiment, I'm sure, is exactly the same from his point of view of um, much as it was great for him from a sort of confidence point of view mm. to play a test in England, first of all, um, secondly, to fill his boots, um, to get on the Lord's Honours board, all this sort of thing. There's also the side of it, which is he was facing guys bowling high 17 miles an hour and is going to be facing guys bowling 10 miles an hour quicker. So I do think it will be a, a huge challenge um, simply because it's going to be unlike anything that he's he's faced in this sort of second coming of his international career. I suppose he did face some quick guys in Pakistan as well. Maybe I you know, shouldn't turn my nose up at that, but... Um, it, I, I, it does feel I, like a big, I, a big upgrade. I feel picturing him uh, um, nicking off a couple of times in South Africa against sort of Enric Nokia in, <laughs> in the ODIs at the start of the year. Um, Nasher, David Warner, uh, a quick word. Really, has he dug himself a trench, or is he is he digging himself back into into form and and, and a, a, well a, a run towards retirement as he's mapped it out. Yeah, I actually thought he looked pretty good in that first innings um, at the Oval. The footwork looked quite confident and he, he got going nicely in that second hour and a gloved pull down the leg side. I know it was from around the wicket, but it didn't quite fit the narrative of the nick off outside off stump, which generally goes with that line of dismissal for him. And then he, he nicks off in the in the second innings for one. We kind of don't, we're not really any clearer. Um, and I think we'll probably have a better idea after the first two Ashes tests about where Warner stands. I would be surprised if he doesn't see out the Ashes series now. Um, it'd be interesting just to go back to the point about the two opening partnerships. So it would be an interesting sort of sweep to have which pairing is going to score more runs in this series, Warner, Kawaja or Crawley Duckett, because um, I, in a sense, the World Championship final was a microcosm of how difficult it can be against the new ball in England. I mean, it, those two innings for Warner and Kawaja uh we're, we're, we're tough. The ball was nipping, the bouncing. I mean, obviously, Ben Stokes will hope for a flatter pitch than was produced for that uh, for that WTC final. It did actually do quite a bit. Um, but, I mean, Kawaja falls cheaply twice, Warner gets a half-decent score and then fails again. That's kind of feels like the life of an opening batter traditionally in England. So um, I can see there being a few 30-for-2 scores in, in, in this series and then it's be defined by that three four five combo. So Pope Root, Brook, um, Marnus, Smith, Head, and Head's the other one who's had this remarkable two years um, in this cycle and was just 
brought a new dynamic to this Australian batting order. So be interesting to see how he goes. I think England will go short at him a bit earlier than India did. Um, but yeah, I mean, all eyes will be on Warner at Edge Baston, which again, and we don't need to go over it all again now, but the attack England might pick and there'd be a, a lot of people going, wow, you want to get brought up to him first up. And I know it's a different scenario to two years ago in Australia where they really stuffed up their selection because they thought too much about it. Whichever attack England put out on the park edge bat, and you probably can't say it's the wrong attack. And someone like Ollie Robinson could cause the same problems that Broad has done. But Broad versus Warner, it's... Must be very tempting to have that first up at Edge Baston. I think just on the point about how difficult opening has been in England, I remember at the end of last summer, um, as you mentioned, Alan, obviously there's been uh, reams of talk about Zach Crawley since since he debuted pretty much um, <laughs> for England. But I think last summer he averaged 23 opening the batting and all other openers in aggregate also averaged 23. And that included you know, uh, some pretty established guys like Dean Elgar mm. and Tom Latham and Chipman Gill for a test as well. Um, so I, I think much as there will inevitably be a lot written about, um, you know, all four of the guys who are going to open the batting as and when they inevitably get some good balls early on. Um, I, I very much agree with Nash's point that I think the engine rooms are the place where the series will be won and lost because more often than not, um, openers don't score a huge number of runs in, in English conditions. That's just how it is. Um, and I think that will probably continue this summer. Crawley's Ashes, that's what I'm hearing. Um, <laughs> we're not far out from the start of the women's Ashes either, with England having announced their 15 women's squad on Monday. And there were a couple of new faces, as discussed by Valkyrie Baines and Fedos Munda on Ladies Who Switch. So Valkyrie, a couple of new names in the test squad, Danny Gibson and Lauren Filer. I don't know how many of our listeners will know too much about them. What can you tell us? Yeah, so they were the only two new names uh, thrown into the mix, but really interesting. They both play for Western Storm in regional cricket over here. Uh, Gibson's an all-rounder. She actually opens for them in T20s and then sort of bats middle order in the 50-over format. Um, she's been scoring runs for them, but also taking wickets. Uh, she took a pretty pivotal four for 23 and bowled beautifully at the death, taking two wickets in the last over during the Storm's last game against Central Sparks in the Charlotte Edwards Cup. Uh, by that stage, they were out of contention for finals day but she certainly caught the eye of uh, England women's head coach John Lewis and uh, yeah and and gained selection basically to add a little bit of flexibility with bat and ball um, Lewis described it as and he also said she's one of the informed cricketers in the country so she was in South Africa actually as a traveling reserve for that T20 World Cup back in February so she has been on the radar for a while and then sort of performing well domestically since the season started here, gained her selection. And Lauren Filer's a 22-year-old seamer who apparently can swing the Red Dukes ball, uh, which is handy for this Ashes test. Um, and Lewis said she can bowl as fast as anyone around the country. Yeah, it seems like England have a lot at their disposal. I mean, you're mentioning some really great bowlers with some exceptional qualities. And I do wonder if we'll be keeping an eye on the speedometer, seeing if anybody's going to break any records. Records. You know, we saw this year what we think was one of the fastest balls in the white ball game where Shabnam Ismail was 128 kilometers an hour. You'll have to convert that to miles very quickly. But um, it also seems as though England have got got the services of, of Kate Crossback. And I know she was battling an illness. Do you think she'll be fully fit to what's her, her health status right now? And, and how do you think she'll uh, perform in this next couple of weeks? 
Yeah, so she's really important because she adds experience to that seam bowling attack for England, which is quite young. We just mentioned Lauren Filer, if she plays, hasn't played a test before. Uh, Izzy Wong and Lauren Bell, who both both made their debuts in that test last year. Um, so yeah, she adds really vital experience. Now, Kay Cross has been suffering from a parasitic illness for a while now, um, really knocked her about. And uh, I think she went through several different attempts with um, various medications to try and uh, knock it on the head and was really struggling with that. Uh, apparently sort of the, the last medication option they were going to try before they ran out of ideas, um, seems to have worked. And she has actually said that she doubted, you know, even a month ago that she would be selected for this test squad. But um, she was given the all clear last week. Uh, so, you know, that basically means um, full fitness, fit enough to be um, selected. And um, yeah, she, as I say, she adds real um, experience there where, you know, uh, England sort of probably don't have it in that seam bowling department. Lovely stuff. You can catch the rest of Valkyrie and Ferdos' chat on the Switch Hit feed. Right then, final thoughts. Gents, um, I'm going to ask you both for predictions for the series. And, uh, and are we going to have another 2005 on our hands? Uh, Matt, I'm in the studio with you, so I'm going to, I'm going to uh, go to you first. Uh, I'll go for a horrible fence-sitting tool because <laughs> my... my thought process on this is basically you think there's um, gonna be a draw I, I think there might be a draw I think everyone's written off the even the vague possibility of a draw I think firstly even with climate change you've got to remember which country we're in there's quite often some rain uh, even in June and July and secondly I think much as England can do their utmost to try and force wins I think there might you know you can definitely envisage a situation in which um, for one reason or another it becomes impossible for them to do so or alternatively, Australia try and bat out for a draw if circumstances arise. So I, I, I'm going to go with two. I think this is probably the strongest Australia side to have toured England since um, yeah, probably 2005, maybe even 2001, potentially. It's a it's a seriously good team. Um, but then my reason for thinking that England will be all right is because generally England are all right in uh, you know series of any decent length at home. I think you have to go back a, a real long time, I think, to... South Africa in 2012 for them to have lost a three or more test series at home um, which to me says um, yeah hopefully we get a really exciting series that, that ends with um, who knows maybe England nicking it from behind to, to square it at the Oval it Sounds 2005-ish uh, Nash are you going to raise the bar any higher there? Uh, I'm, I'm going to go for 3-2 um, I, I, Matt's logic on how we might get a draw um, is very valid but yeah I'm, I'm going to go um for three two, and if I have to put a team on which is going to be the three, <laughs> yeah, I was which coming, is going to be the, come to that. Be, be the two. Oh, I, I'll, I'm, I'm going to go, um, and not just because I now have my residency over there. Um, I, I, I'm going to go with Australia to to take it three two. Um, as Matt says, this is this is a very good Australian side, and I, I think kind of the the, the class of Smith Labuschagne and the depth of their bowling um i'm gonna go that they'll they'll take it three two but could be completely wrong uh because i don't think any of us really knows how this is going to play out yeah excellent we'll come back and listen to this recording in a few weeks and uh, uh <laughs> see where we went wrong um that's a wrap for this episode the time for talking is almost over although we'll be back to do it again next week uh, next stop it's fortress edgbaston and first the first installment of the Basball ashes Nasha and Matt will be there, crash helmets and hype deflectors at the ready. 
thanks to you both for coming on and uh, as always to you the listener for tuning in to the Switch It podcast on ESPNQuickInfo.com.